Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9 through 13, and my Bible is still in my suitcase, so it's ready for another week of camp, I think a little bit more than I am. Um, And I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, may we all hear Jesus say to us, follow me. And may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Because you, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first time I heard Jesus say to me, follow me, I was too young to know it. I was baptized as a baby, but that baptism means that I was called by God to follow Jesus. The way we perform infant baptisms in the United Methodist tradition um, includes pledges by the parents and by the congregation that's there to do all that they can to raise those little ones to be able to respond on their own to Jesus' call, follow me. In fact, we say something like this as a congregation. We say something like, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with the community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Do you remember making those pledges at other people's baptisms? Do you remember who made those pledges at your baptism? I have this this kind of network-connected understanding of that kind of promise because the, the people who made that pledge at my baptism lived on the other side of the country from here. And I pretty sure none of them are present now and I'm pretty sure I haven't run across any of them in a long time likewise a lot of you somebody was there and made pledges and vows at your baptism and you may not have seen them anymore but uh, we've all all who've been baptized have had pledges made and so our pledges go beyond just to the infant at present but to everyone who is baptized we pledge this to one another so i'm not sure when the next time i heard jesus say follow me was you might think that you hear jesus say follow me every time you go to church maybe every time you open a streaming service online you hear jesus say to you follow me maybe maybe even every time you read the bible or bow in prayer you hear jesus say Follow me. I don't know how that works for you. It works differently for every one of us. 
But I'm told there was this time when I was five. It was Promotion Sunday, the church in Southern California that we were attending at the time. <clears throat> and my parents went to pick me up at the Sunday school class that I was to have been promoted to, and I wasn't there. I wasn't there because when they called out the list of the kids who were going to go to the new five-year-old class, I didn't hear my name called because they mispronounced my last name. So since I didn't hear it, I stayed where I was. Now, I don't think this has come up here. I don't usually care how my last name is pronounced. Last week, though, I was taking some donations to a thrift shop, and this really kind woman who worked there, volunteered her time there, was writing out the receipt for me, and she asked me for my name. So I said, Steve. She wrote Steve. And she said, in your last name? And I said, like I usually do when somebody's going to spell it, I say, H-E-Y, duck. And I saw her write H-E-Y and then stop. And she looked at me. And I said, D-U-C-K. And she giggled a little bit, but she tried, tried to keep me from noticing that she was giggling. And I say, listen, it's all right. It's a funny spelling of a last name. Don't worry about it. And she giggled a little bit more, but she, she, I could tell she felt really embarrassed about it. And she was intent on trying to make me feel welcome and appreciated. And chuckling at my last name was like the opposite of helping me feel welcome and appreciated. And I don't think I even ever got around to telling her that it's actually pronounced High Duke, which would have just been layers of laughs upon all that other stuff. But since I've just told you this story about how when I was five, I didn't recognize my last name mispronounced. I should tell you, I don't usually now notice how it's pronounced. I mean, if, if somebody says my last name and then they say, did I pronounce it right, I usually have to ask them to say it again because I don't pay attention. Now, any of the varieties I've ever heard, hey, duck, hey, duke, hi, duck, hi, do, hey, duke. I mean, that, that's just skimming the surface. But if it's something I've heard before, I just respond and I don't know what was said. But then there's this. There have been people that I've known in, in other places I've lived, and known for a long time, served as their pastor for a long time, who still, years into our relationship, said my last name wrong. Now, while I don't really care how somebody pronounces my last name, it seems to me that if you know somebody for a couple of years and you still don't say their name correctly, there's something else going on there than you just don't know how to pronounce it. So I suppose I could be to blame because I don't correct people every time they mispronounce it. But I know this. If you want to make somebody feel like they belong, like they're welcomed, then you learn how to say their name, even if it sounds funny or is spelled funny, and you say it correctly. And correctly is not how it's spelled. It's how the person says it. And I, I guess I wanted to stress that because... As we grow as a church, as we get more people from the area surrounding our, our congregation to be in worship with us, to connect with us, to want to follow Jesus with us, to feel like they belong here, we will have an increased chance of having people who have names that may not be exactly like the names we all know, that we will want to learn and commit to pronouncing correctly. 
Because something that's really unwelcoming is for a, a stranger, a brand new person to come to a church and be made to feel like you're welcome here as long as you do everything exactly the way we do it. And we might not learn to pronounce your name if we really don't think that much of you. Sometimes just taking the time and the effort to learn enough about how somebody wants their name pronounced can make them feel like they belong. And that will help them hear Jesus say, follow me. I remember hearing Jesus say, follow me, at a Houston North District youth rally right at the beginning of the summer between my sophomore and junior years of high school. I wouldn't have been there to hear Jesus say, follow me if I had not been invited to a church and made to feel welcome, made to feel like I belong. Now, you might say, if you're one of these abstract thinkers, yeah, Jesus could have gotten your attention anytime, perhaps. But I know Jesus found me that afternoon. And I heard him say, follow me. That time, I think, was really more like what we read about in the gospel today where Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And I did. And the next thing I knew, Jesus was following me. Did, did you catch that in the story? Jesus comes to Matthew at his taxpayer's kiosk and says, follow me. And the next part of the story, it jumps to Jesus is at Matthew's house for dinner. So I took Jesus home with me from that youth rally. Not that he hadn't already been there, but I took him home. Jesus was with me now everywhere I went. And I was aware of it. So Jesus said, follow me, and Jesus also followed me some. And I don't know, but it might have been the case that when Jesus started following me and even went to my house to eat meals with me, there could have been somebody who saw that and said, look at that, Jesus eats with sinners. I suppose he does. I come from a family full of sinners. So do you. And it only seemed to matter to the Pharisees because it clearly didn't matter to Matthew. Matthew wasn't at all bothered. All the rest of the tax collectors and sinners that were also at Matthew's house eating with Matthew and Jesus, it didn't bother them. It didn't, it didn't matter to anybody except the Pharisees. Well, okay, it mattered to Jesus, but it mattered to Jesus for the opposite reason for why it mattered to the Pharisees because Jesus spent much of his time with tax collectors and sinners what's more the tax collectors and sinners all seem to really like jesus they liked having him around i don't recall a single time in any of the four gospels that jesus asked one of the tax collectors or sinners to follow me and he was turned down and you know the pharisees are a recurring theme in this series obviously and the pharisees here they like to triangle. They triangle this time Jesus with his disciples. Now, um, they're really good at triangling. You remember a couple of weeks ago, the Pharisees saw something Jesus' disciples didn't like, so they go to Jesus. This time, they see something in Jesus they don't like, and they go to the disciples. Matthew tells us. But when the Pharisees saw this, he, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it, because Jesus is really hard to triangle. 
And Jesus stepped into the conversation and said, well, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The next time I remember hearing Jesus say, follow me, was my call to ministry. And as I look back on it now, honestly, I'm, I, 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 it's not really clear. It was long enough ago. It's gotten a little muddied. I wonder sometimes now if I was following my older brother into ministry as much as I was following Jesus. And that may have been, but the years since then have offered me plenty of times to make this call to ministry my own and not just something about following my brother. We do still stay in pretty close touch with each other. We encourage one another and support each other in ministry. Another time that, that I heard Jesus say, follow me, was at my ordination service. The first one was 33 years ago this month. The sanctuary of First Methodist Houston was packed. But at times, I felt like I was the only one in the room. I don't remember what songs we sang, but we sang them kind of with the energy that you all sing songs with, but the room was packed, and it was six times this size, packed, people singing for joy and praise at the top of their lungs. And then Bishop Richard Wilkie, then serving in Arkansas, preached. And to have six and a half years of education at that time, and a couple years of youth ministry, all of this just confirmed and affirmed and reaffirmed my call to ministry and blessed me like I had never experienced before. It was kind of like, wow, they put on this big production just so I could hear Jesus say, follow me. And of course, it wasn't just so I could hear Jesus say, follow you. I wonder if any of the many times that you've heard Jesus say to you, follow me that you've been kind of caught up in the crowd i mean maybe you didn't think jesus was telling you follow me maybe jesus maybe you thought the message was for the guy sitting next to you or three rows over or something and that may have seemed that way and one thing that some of us that we do sometimes when we hear jesus say follow me and we're in the presence of others is we say these words you might have said this. I know I have. Oh, don't, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. So we deflect. Somebody, somebody comes to us about our following Jesus, and we say, oh, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. I don't think that works. I think we can only actually credibly invite somebody to follow Jesus the way we follow Jesus. We can't say, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower. Don't look at anything I do. Don't look at my life. Don't pay attention to me. Just look to Jesus. I don't think anybody wants to hear that. I don't think that does anybody any good. Because the person who comes to you about Jesus, who might think that Jesus is saying, follow me to them, and they want your help and your encouragement, or maybe they just feel lost and they know you're somebody that cares, they don't want to know some, some abstract Jesus that you can just tell them about. They want to know the Jesus that you know and that you're following. That's why they've come to you with whatever they brought to you. So give them what you can whatever you have in your heart as an honest experience of your efforts to follow Jesus. They won't be totally turned off when you admit you haven't always followed Jesus incredibly well. So let your life be the kind of life that somebody else might hear Jesus say, follow me. Because I've really learned that. that I think that's, that's what ministry is. That might be all that ministry is. I can't offer you what I don't have, 
So I offer you the joy, the peace, the wholeness of life, the forgiveness that I have found in Jesus. And so I wonder sometimes if, if the reason that Christians offer other people lists of things not to do or lists of things you have to do is because we live as though those are the things we can't do if we want to belong to God. Or these are the things we have to do if we want to belong to God. And we doubt our own belonging. So one of the things I think we do is we tell ourselves and we tell each other that we ought not have friends who are, who are not Christian. There'll be a bad influence on us, we tell ourselves. But how can we ever be a good influence on somebody? How can we ever share the good news of Jesus with somebody if we keep our distance from them, if we refuse to be an influence on them, if we won't spend time with them because we're concerned that the Pharisees around us will say, look, they're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Another time I remember Jesus, hearing Jesus say to me, follow me, was when I was in college. I was starting my third year of college. I went to Southwestern, which at the time had less than 1,000 students. So by the time you're in your third year, you know everybody else there except the, the nine transfers and the, the new freshman class. But by the, your third year, you've got your friends, you've got your routines, you know how things are going. But then, really early that year, a very good friend of mine invites me to have dinner with him, just him. And in our dining hall, you didn't eat just two people. You always ate with some crowd, whether it was this crowd or that crowd, one of the many crowds that you were a part of. But he had a favor to ask me. So this dinner was one-on-one. -on -one. He said, well, he and I had played a lot of basketball together and whatever other game might be going on. We'd just run around together a fair amount over our first two years there. And so he asked me, as we sat over dinner, if I would consider joining this fraternity that he was a part of. It was a really bold ask, because I started college as a fundamentalist, which I learned later in life. Fundamentalist means no fun, lots of damn, light on the mental. But I'd been dead set, wholly opposed to, to the whole Greek fraternity idea. And this was long enough ago that it seemed like pretty closely connected with Animal House. If you're old enough to get that reference. If you're not, leave me a note, ask me after worship, we can talk, or just rent the movie. But my friend added, friend added that he and these other mutual friends we had, many of whom were in this chapter. Um, were looking for me to join their fraternity and to be a good influence in their fraternity. They actually wanted me to become a part of the group because I was following Jesus. So they gave me a bid. The bid came with a full week to consider it. I took the entire week to consider that. I wanted to do it because I felt so welcomed by this group, but, but it, it just didn't feel right. I'd been really seriously anti-Greek for two years. And now, what would people think of me if I made this change? I didn't think of it in terms of Pharisees, but that's kind of come, making sense to me now. And I realized that week that when I went from, God, I'd like your opinion on this choice I'm making, to God, I will do what your will is. Before I know what your will is, God, I give myself to you. 
So I accepted the bid and I joined the fraternity. My friend Dwayne and I, we both received bids. We'd both been independent staunchly for two years. And we went over to the fraternity's house this, together that evening to accept our bids. And I've never felt more accepted, never felt like I belonged more in my life, even to this day. A couple of guys took Dwayne and me around to everywhere on campus where anybody from this fraternity was in the evening studying, practicing, for seeing whatever they were doing. And we'd get there, and they'd share the news, and there'd be a little party for us. Now, I suppose a fraternity was kind of the same then as it is now. It's, it's a bunch of sinners, kind of like your family, kind of like my family. But I was welcomed there. I was accepted there. And I, I was never, ever asked to compromise or reject my following of Jesus to be a part of that group, to hang out with those sinners. They wanted me around. Can you imagine what it would be like if we, as followers of Jesus, made people feel that welcome, that accepted, when they become a part of us? I can imagine it, because I felt it. And it's exactly what I want us to offer here. And one word for that? Is helping people feel like they belong. I don't know how many times in your life you've heard Jesus say to you, follow me. You may have never acknowledged it before. I believe Jesus is saying to every one of us right now, follow me. And here's the great news. All you have to do to start following Jesus is simply to follow him there's no magic formula there's not 17 steps if you hear jesus say follow me just start following so if you've heard it zero times before or seven times a day for 50 years whatever's going on in your life you feel like you've walked away you're hurt You've got all kinds of excuses why Jesus is not saying, follow me to you. Jesus is saying, follow me to you today. So hear Jesus say it and begin to follow. And because sometimes church people are wired this way, or people who, who come to church are wired this way. I don't want to call you church people in case somebody thinks that's a negative. Um, sometimes, sometimes it takes doing something at least a little bit different. So I want to invite you as we sing our last song, if you need to do something different, step out of your comfort zone, if you need to do something physically to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him, then I want to invite you to come and, and kneel at the prayer rail and take that as your act of answering Jesus and following Jesus. And if you come up and pray, um, I, I won't spy on you, but I'll keep my eyes open. If, if you pray and you have your hands up like this, I'm going to take that as a message. Hey, come talk to me. If you don't have your hands up like this, I'll leave you alone. Because simply the act of coming to the, to the rail for somebody might be that little step they need to do to actually begin to follow Jesus. So as we sing, may we follow Jesus.